0: Well, I am so happy that all of you are here this morning, and uh, I want to start us off by telling a story. We're in this series right now called Wars and Walls, and uh, we've been tracking through the story of Nehemiah and his kind of like utter despair over the brokenness of this wall, but to catch you up or to give you a little insight into where we're going today, i um, I want to ask you this question, I guess. How many of you has your GPS ever failed you before? Your GPS, like you just put your hope and your stock and maybe even your life into this thing and then it failed you and let you down. Shannon and I bought a house a couple years ago and it was our first Christmas in the house. And so we are live Christmas tree people, okay? Any other live Christmas tree people in here? Okay, great, all right. So live Christmas tree people, here's what this says to the rest of you. We love scrubbing door frames, and to get that green off. We love vacuuming needles every day. We love throwing the trees in the backyard for about eight or nine months after Christmas and watching it totally rot, but not decay, like it just sits there still and it's just brown. Um, So that's us, right? Can I get an amen from the Christmas tree people? Amen, we love it, it's a blast, right? So we went and uh, Shan's parents invited us to go Christmas tree hunting, right? Sounds like this excursion, like bring a gun. No, we brought our own ax or our own, not an ax, a saw, sorry. And uh, when I, (laughs) yeah, That'd be alarming, wouldn't it? Walking around with some guy with a big ax going, we're going to get this thing. So uh, Shan and I, we went out and we went out with her parents and we're at this Christmas tree farm. I'd never been there before. And it's important to note that this was right around the time that I was discovering that I have a lactose intolerance. Okay. So think about this. I had a full bowl of cereal that morning. Okay. So we're out and we are Christmas tree hunting and we find, you know, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And Shan finds one that she likes, you know, has the triangular like symmetry and all that stuff. And I went, whatever, I don't care. Um, So she finally picked one and I went, awesome. And as I'm cutting it down, all of a Sudden, I remembered the bowl of milk and cereal that morning. Do you catch my drift? All of a sudden, I said, Shannon, it is bathroom time and I need it now. Okay, this is this was fun, but I start sweating, you guys. Like, it's just, I'm like, oh man, okay, this got We got to speed this up. And so, perfect timing cut down this tree with the dullest saw you've ever seen in your life, drag the thing over just as the tractor's coming. I'm like, oh, thank you. Okay, good. Right, sweating, a little anxious, but tractor. We're going to be fine. So the tractor rolls up and it's got the two trailers and full of people and Christmas trees and, and it's full. So I look at the guy and he's like, hey, I just, I got to drop these guys up, but I'll just turn around right at the hill. I'll come back and get you. I went, perfect. You know, make it quick, make it snappy, right? For those of you that know me, don't waste time now. We need it now. I don't care if you turn it on two wheels to get that thing back to me. And so he drops everybody off. And as he's at the top of the hill, he turns around and it's almost like he just winked at me and kept driving and just went the opposite way. And I went, oh. I went. saying, we're going, we're going now. This is just work mode. We're just going to tuck, and I'm going to pray that I make it. So I grabbed that tree, and in record time, I dragged that thing from the corner of the lot all the way back, and I'm sweating, and I'm nervous, and I walk up, and I'm like, we just need to pay for this thing and get out of here. And I went, where's your bathroom? And I went, oh, sir, uh, we don't have public bathrooms here. I went, well, you're about to, okay? <laughs> this... This ain't no joke, okay? And uh, I was like, just let me pay for this tree. So they're like, great, $65. I was, $65 for a tree that I had to do that? And they're like, oh, you picked the expensive one. And I looked at my wife and I said, thank you, honey, for picking the expensive one. And so I pull out my wallet and I hand them my credit card. And they say, sir, we don't take credit here oh boy, okay, praying for patience, praying for patience. I went, you're just gonna have to watch the tree then because I will be back. And I get in the car and I I just went, Shan, just stay, I'll be right back. And I went, Siri, find me the closest bank as possible because I had a multi-purpose here for this bank. Okay, I need cash, I need a bathroom ASAP. And so I'm like, Siri, give me directions to the nearest bank, GPS go. I peeled out of there so fast and I'm driving and I'm driving like through cornfields and tree farms and there's farms and houses. And I'm like, this this bank better be close because good grief, we're on the clock. It crossed my mind too. Like, okay, if I get pulled over right now, because I was hauling, okay, I was moving. I went, this is just going to be a lose-lose for everybody. He's going to walk up and just go, have a good day. I already understand. (laughs) It's already a bad one for you. Just get out of here. So I just drove. And then all of a sudden it said, okay, you're like half a mile away. Perfect. Okay. Half a mile. I'm rolling up and it says turn left. And it's like this sunny side subdivision. I went, I don't know a lot about engineering and civil stuff, but I know typically you don't put houses next to banks like in subdivisions. Like it's not house, 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 bank, house, house, unless some guy's doing something in his garage. So I pull in and it says, you have arrived. And I went, where? I've arrived somewhere, but where is not where I wanted to be. And so needless to say, there was no bank there. Was David cranky? Yes, he was. Do I remember what I said? No, I do not. But I do remember I burned rubber getting out of there. And for those of you that would ask me this after service, I made it. Okay, so relax. (laughs) Sickos. All right, so I made it. But here's the point. This is why I bring it up. This is why I tell you the story. For those of you that your GPS has failed you, how many of you, it's like, it, it's failed you in a serious time of need that you were following and you were seeing the signs and it didn't look like it matched up and didn't totally know or it didn't totally look like you, you were going the right place, but you just trusted it and you just hoped and you just got there. And then when you finally did arrive, you went, how did I end up here? Why did I end up here? It's a funny analogy because I think a lot of us, this is how we actually live life. I think a lot of us could ask the exact same question right now if you reflect on your marriage. And some of you, maybe, you know, you got married young and marriage was great for the first couple years and then you added a kid or a couple kids and they got older and time went on and then you look at each other 20, 30 years later and you go, I don't know if I really even know you anymore some of you this is how it is with your job you look at where you're at right now in your job and you say how did I end up doing this this wasn't what I started doing this wasn't what I wanted to be doing but you know just kind of step after step and decision after decision has left me here Uh, a way I heard a guy describe it was I just I had golden handcuffs on I didn't want to be doing what I was doing but I couldn't afford to not to So I was just stuck. Some of us maybe ask the question, how did I get here? Maybe others of you, it's money. You go, I I don't know how we ended up this far in debt, but we owe a ton, like we're gonna be paying this off for years and it's spread out in multiple different ways. How, How did we get here? It's very indicative and it's very important for us to ask the same question spiritually. If I asked you, how are you and God doing? What would you say? Would you respond and say, awesome, love it, super grateful? Or would you honestly probably say, I think it could be better. I think it could be closer. I think it could be deeper. I think it could be more intimate. This is what leads us into the story that we're reading today in Nehemiah. This is what happened with the Israelites, that uh, they got to the point where they were in Jerusalem and God's favor was with the Israelites and the people and their relationship with God was sound. It was strong. It was pure. It it was this this push-pull relationship of God's calling them and pulling them for more, pushing them to do more and be more as a representation of him at the same time. But then a series of decisions and a series of people led this group of Israelites, God's people, God's chosen people to a separate type of relationship. One of the things that was indicative was this wall. So they had a wall around the city of Jerusalem that God had instructed the people to build. And the wall was a representative of their relationship with God and its strength. And so over time, cities would come in or opposing armies or opposing uh, dynasties that would come in and they would take over and they would beat down the walls and they would take prisoners captive and they would raid the city. I mean, so they just depleted it of not just its people, but of its resources, of, of its beauty, of its security and safety. So Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king. He spent time with the king, and cupbearer just means Nehemiah would drink something and then give it to the king as like poison control, right? Because that was their security measure. So Nehemiah had a very important job, very close to the king. And so Nehemiah, when he saw the wall, he had utter despair and brokenness, and he goes up to the king and he says, can I please ask for your permission to go back to my city, to go back to Jerusalem and to lead my people to rebuild this wall? And the king says, sure. And I'll give you resources to do it. I'll give you the army to do it. I'll I'll, Go, go do it and you have my favor. So Nehemiah goes and he begins rebuilding the wall and calling the people that are there to something greater and saying, it's not just about the wall. We don't just want to rebuild this wall. What we want to do is rebuild our relationship with God. So for a lot of us, We've never been to the Middle East. We've never been to Israel or Jerusalem. We may have never seen the wall or the magnitude of this wall. So I wanted to show you a couple pictures. This is Jerusalem current, present day. And so you can kind of see the lower third of your screen. uh, There's a wall that runs across. And then also on the left side of the screen... um, this is a big wall, and so we're pretty zoomed out. But let me show you just a little bit deeper. So as you get closer, you can see the sun changed, and you can see the shadow running along the wall in the city of Jerusalem. But I want to give you, like, an idea of actually how big this thing is. So we're going to zoom in again, and you can see that there are people down below. This is a big wall. It's a big project. And then as if you're about to touch it, this is what it looks like. Is that beautiful or what? I mean, it's, it's huge. Here's just a, a marvel moment for you. Think about this, that there weren't cranes, there weren't skid steers, there weren't bulldovers, there weren't earth movers. There, this was done by hand. And to boot, this was rebuilt in 52 days. Wow. Can you imagine? So Nehemiah leads this, huge project and it's not just about rebuilding the walls because when he showed up he didn't just see broken walls he saw broken spirits and people whose relationships had been torn and messed up and ripped apart in their relationship with God so he leads them to rebuild the wall they finish the wall in 52 days and that's what leads us right into our story today so if you have your Bible open it up or turn it on to Nehemiah 8 verse 1 It goes like this. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Here's what they did. Uh, The law he's talking about is the first five books of the Bible. And so he brought it before them, before all of them, and he was getting ready to read it. And so the wall was completed, day number one. Uh, Nehemiah closed the gates, and he locked it and brought them all in together as a group, as an assembly, and said, we are going to read this together. Wow. So let's keep reading. Nehemiah 8, verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What a picture. You have thousands and thousands of men and women and children in one place, focused on one task, and it was not the wall, it was worship. Let's keep reading one more. Nehemiah 8, verse 8, says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning, this is key, so that the people understood what was being read. That as they opened it, They wanted to make sure that people could understand the word of God as it was written and preserved for them so that it could work in their hearts and their souls and draw them closer to God. The Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. Or weep, watch this. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. It says this in Hebrews 4:12, "For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's what happened. The word of God is alive and active and breathing and moving. And when it was read over all of the people in a way that they could understand, it pierced them in the heart and generated such a response that they began weeping because they could see maybe for the first time, definitely for the first time in a long time, the difference and the gap, this chasm that was between God and them. And this weeping comes because of a realization that we have sinned, that we have wronged God, that turn after turn after turn like following a gps as we pursue money or as we pursue happiness or as we pursue uh, power or prestige or fame what happened with the israelites is as they pursued all these things just like a gps it led them astray and when they could actually zoom out and see where they were they wept because their relationship was so broken so watch, watch what they did here. This is so cool. Nehemiah eight verse ten said so Nehemiah said, "Go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord." Is your strength. So this is day one, and they're all weeping, but Nehemiah says, don't weep. Today is a day of joy. Today is a day of celebration because this is the first step in which we've changed direction and we're moving back towards our relationship with God. So here's the thing. They read it, they understood, and then watch. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine seeing this group of people? Maybe you're a part of this group, and you hear and you understand, okay, our first step right now is to celebrate because we have turned from our ways, and we want God and us to be restored. We want that to be right, and we're going to feast, and we're going to celebrate because God promises that that can happen. So that's what they did. Let's read the next one. Here's day two Nehemiah 8, verse 14. It says, They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Why would they have to do that? This is going back. And this is Nehemiah reminding them too that when they were in Egypt, the Israelites were in Egypt and they were held captive by the Egyptians and they suffered and they toiled and they worked because they were in slavery and God drew them out of Egypt and saved them. He rescued his people and he brought them into the wilderness where they lived in temporary shelters. So day two, when they read this, this was for them to remember the faithfulness of God that he led them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. God led his people. They were utterly dependent on him. And so they read this, to live in temporary shelters. So here's what the people do. So they went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs. Don't you love that? That'd be weird if we did that, especially with the pitch. Theirs was a little bit more flat. Ours would be awkward. You'd have people showing up at your house that just ask you, everything okay? Just checking. I know I'm your neighbor. No, we never met. Just want to clarify this. All good? So, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, in the one by the gate of Ephraim, here's what I want you to see. They read, they understand, they go do. They read, they understand, and then they go do it. So, here's what it says in verse 18. It says they did this day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day. day. From the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Wow talk about a directional change for the people of God. And it says they did this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And And here's what they didn't know, but this was setting them up for one of the most important moments for Israel as a people group in history. But before we get into that, I want to ask all of us this question What do you want your relationship with God to look like? I asked you earlier, how, how is it right now? Or how are you in God? Or if you had to describe it, but if you had to describe, what do you want my relationship with God to look like? What comes to mind? Maybe you say, oh, I want to feel Him, I want to feel His presence, I want to hear Him speak. I want to know where he's leading me. I want the peace that comes with knowing him. I want to see him work. I want to see him do miracles. I want to see him in power. I just want to feel this intimacy and closeness with God. This is what I want. This is what I desire. And summer is this funny time, too, because uh, I don't know about you guys, I'm tired. I'm tired. It's been a long year. It's been a long season. And so summer, it just tends to be that a lot of stuff slows down. School is off. Events even slow down a little bit. Work requirements. And so how easy is it for me or for any of us here to say, you know what? I just need a break from my relationship with God for a little bit. To me, it just feels like one more thing on top of it. And so a lot of us, the temptation is to pull back from church, to pull back from reading, to pull back from prayer, to pull back from a Christian community like a small group. I just, I want to pull back. I just want to take a break and take a breather. And this is, I'll just be honest with you, for me and my journey and my walk with the Lord, it has been easy for me to skimp on time with God in my Bible or praying or small group, everything I just named, this is me. And here's the danger of that. To let off the gas doesn't mean we recharge and refresh and reorient ourselves with God. What it means is it sets us up for even deeper and more powerful failure. That it opens us up to attack. It opens us up to vulnerability And it opens us up. God doesn't want us to take a break from him. Here's what many of us need to do. And if you're writing this down, write this statement down. God doesn't need us to pull off on the gas. What he needs us to do is turn the steering wheel. Because just like a GPS sometimes, we just start driving in the wrong way. And many of us don't realize it or don't figure it out until it's too late. So I wanna ask you this, true question. Um, I'm gonna throw this picture up on the screen here. How many of you uh, actually use a map on a regular basis or have used a map in the last four weeks, not a GPS? Okay, so about eight of you, all right. And you guys don't have smartphones yet? Is that how that works? (laughs) Not yet, just kidding, just kidding. So here's the thing, Um, most of us, the reason why most of you didn't raise your hand is this is a little old school, is it not? It's a little bit harder. It requires you to look at the whole picture and to find out where you are. There's not like this little blue dot that just like glows and says, here you are. I just wanna make your job even easier. Here you are, you're still here. And it just updates. You can stay here for 10 minutes. I'm just gonna keep on, oh, you moved over. Look at that, it moved over too. GPS, right, here's the other one, we'll throw GPS. How many of you are GPS fans, right? Come on, GPS fans, smartphones. I don't wanna hear, okay, the dialogue about iPhone, Android, I don't care, stick with me. GPS can we agree GPS so yes thank you okay so GPS cuz I'll hear about it most of you don't know that but I'll hear about it afterwards so so GPS or map GPS it is so easy for us to go on autopilot mode in our world today do you realize that I was reading, I was looking up stories about GPSs totally derailing people's lives and they're everywhere. It's so funny. People that are driving in the rivers and in the lakes and on train tracks and off cliffs and they're going, GPS told me to turn left, so that's why I did. <laughs> really? They're everywhere. If you don't believe me, do a little homework. Don't do it right now. Do it after church. I'm telling you, you will find them. They're hilarious. But this is, this is what's happening. Is it's actually, this was an article that was written. GPSs and things like it are changing the physiology in our brains because it's not forcing us to think or process or function like we were made to. It's easy. But a GPS, you just pull out your phone and you just say, Siri, just like I did, Siri, here's what I need. Go. Many of us live life exactly the same way. Many of us, we set the the GPS where we type in the address and we say retirement. And then you orient your life to retirement and you follow an advisor or an opinion and what someone says, this is how you should steer, this is what you should do, this is where you should go. Others of us do that with jobs. Okay, here's the job that you want someday. Here's like the the track or the career path that you gotta get on. Some of you, maybe it's relational or it's family or it's marriage and you just say, here's the destination, here's what I wanna go. And then you just follow some sort of, you follow books or you follow uh, opinions or advice or advisor and we just follow and it changes constantly and many of us don't realize that we're so far off track from where we want to be until it's too late. Here's the most important part, because we can talk finances or marriage or family, but all that at the end of the day doesn't matter, especially if your relationship with God isn't on track. That autopilot mode and GPS mode in Christianity is easy to say, I do my little three-minute study in the morning, I do my Devo, or I set it on my phone so that it alerts me every day that this is what I'm supposed to read. I pray as I need to or as I find time. I come to church every week and I just trust them to tell me what my next step is, like a GPS would. And what happens is over time, if we continue to live that way, we can get so far off base in our relationship with God that like the Israelites, we turn around and we go, how did I get here? What happened? What happened? I mean, even just personally, there's people in my life that matter to me a whole lot and care about that their marriage is potentially almost done. And they go, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how we got here. After 30 years of marriage. So it's not just a year one, year two. It, it's a, we've watched relationships with God deteriorate. We've watched relationships with others deteriorate. We've watched relationship with church and Christian community deteriorate and it has just chipped away and eaten at their lives. And they get to this this page in their story and they go, how did we get here? Many of us, that is our story of our relationship with God. God's not okay with that. So let's keep reading. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Here's the people. Here's how they respond after doing this. They did it for 23 days. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and did what? Confessed. They confessed their sin. They confessed their wrongdoing. They confessed the brokenness. They confessed their bad decisions. They confessed where they wronged God. They confessed, and get this, they not only their, confessed their sins, but also the sins of who? Those before them. It's this amazing, impactful moment. Or the people come together and they say, we were wrong and we share it. Let's keep reading. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of their Lord, of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were, Joshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shabaniah, Booni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenanai. Thanks that all of them were there. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord, their God. Can you imagine witnessing this unfold? Can you imagine leaders in a community, family members, men, Women, children coming together in this corporate environment saying, this is where I have sinned, this is where I have done wrong, and I'm making it public and clear for all to see that I have wronged, and I repent. Do you know what the word repent means? It's funny, Jesus even said this, a regular phrase or command or, or teaching that Jesus had right on early in his ministry was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Repent means I'm moving one direction, I'm moving this direction, and uh, there's a realization that I am moving in the wrong direction. That I'm sinning, that I'm broken, that I'm doing something wrong. The repentance is the realization of and the change of heart and then the decision to turn around and go the opposite direction. Do you see how that played out with the Israelites? How they were moving one direction and they had sinned and then they confessed and they said, God, we were wrong. After we've spent time in your word, after we've read, after we've studied, after we understood that we were wrong, we had a change of heart, but then we also changed direction. Love this statement, true repentance requires a change of heart and a change of direction. That if we want to experience God for who he is, we must not only have a change of heart and a desire, God, I want a closer relationship with you. I want to add more time for you in my day. I want my life to be more surrendered. Not only do we have to decide that and change in our heart, but then we also have to make the decision to move in that direction. And here's what God promises. If you move towards me, even just one step, I will flood your direction. Just one step. Just give me something. Just move a little bit, and I promise you I will overwhelm you with my presence and with my goodness and just everything that we sang about today with my faithfulness that regardless of you and decisions you've made or sin you've done or whatever it is, I will meet you and overwhelm you and forgive you because even when you're not faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. For a lot of the guys that were here, Uh, are here today. Uh, We did a men's retreat a couple months ago in February, and I just have to tell you for the rest of you, we haven't talked about this much from stage, but the men's retreat was probably one of the most impactful moments in my journey with the Lord, and especially here at Frontline, uh, that I can remember. And we had about 79 guys that showed up for this men's retreat, and it was a two-day retreat. And we basically just we did four teachings, and we had a lot of fun and shooting potato guns and playing sports and all that stuff. But the the teaching, the meat part of it, was we just want to talk about who is God and who are we. Who is God? Who are we? And we got to the end of our uh, retreat. It was at night. It was probably around 11 o'clock at night. And we had this this big beautiful room. Probably guys here, you probably remember big beautiful room and we had a fire going and the lights were off and I had talked to our leaders ahead of time I had 35 leaders on this thing and I said here's what we're going to do I have a little carpet square right up front and we're going to invite every man to come up and to stand on that carpet with a note card that he can write whatever and the thing that's weighing him down or burdening him the sin that's in his life we're going to give every man an opportunity to stand on that carpet to read that sin out loud to everybody and say I'm putting this to death I don't want to live in the power of my flesh, I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I said to these 35 leaders, This is going to be the hardest thing I've ever asked anybody, especially a group this size, to do. Would you please go first? And they all said, Yes, resounding yes, we're excited to, can't wait. So that night, there we are, the lights are off, the fire's going, and I get up and I say, Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I want you to experience the freedom that God offers that comes through this little package called confession. I want to invite you to come up and to stand on this carpet and experience the gift by just releasing something that you've held on. And do you know, I could not finish giving instructions before a mob of them walked right over to the table and grabbed a pen and grabbed a note card. And I couldn't get out of the way soon enough because one after one, they came up and they said, here's my sin. And I'm putting it to death and i want the holy spirit to lead me one after another after another after another with tears streaming down their faces with applause after everyone with hugs and just brotherly love of just guys that say i care about you and i'll be there with you and i'll help hold you accountable and i'll be with your family and i'll encourage you you can do it and it was just this environment just like this With the Israelites that changed the course of history for the Israelites and it also changed the course of history for many of the men that were there in this retreat. I didn't know everybody that was there. You sure get to know people pretty quick when you do something like that. But here's what I do know. Almost every guy that I knew at that retreat and have talked to or followed up with or been a part of their lives since then, every one of them has been different every one of them experienced this change this transformation this invitation from god to play a role in his kingdom and it's been unbelievable it's changing families it's changing marriages it's changing the kingdom it's changing the, it's changing every part of their lives. And so that's what I just wanna move us into together. Jesus died on a cross for every one of us in this place. And he says, I wanna give you forgiveness for the things that are weighing you down or that hold you captive. I wanna release you and set you free. And that's why I died on the cross on your behalf. It's up to you if you wanna decide it. If you wanna say, yes, I will claim that. I want that for me. So here's my question. What do you need to repent of today? Not your family, not your ancestors, not your family. What what do you personally need to come before the Lord today? I don't have no cards. I'm not going to invite you to come up on stage, nothing like that. But we're just going to set aside a little bit of time for you to get right in your relationship with God and say, God, here I am. I give this and offer this to you and be prepared to be flooded with grace. I wanna read this together. This is 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, here's the promise, then I will hear them from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Would you take a couple minutes and spend time with your heavenly father, sharing whatever it is you want and receiving the gift that he has for you?